Well, um, as we continue in this, this series, Choose 2008, we are acknowledging that life is full of choices. Uh, you know, some of those choices seem pretty insignificant. You know, am I going to wear the purple sweater today or the brown one? Am I going to wear my hair up or down? For me, that's an easy choice. Um, you know, do I really want fries with that? You know, in the scheme of life, those choices are really not uh, things that matter all that much. But like uh, we saw from the clip from the film 310 to Yuma, there are other choices that are much more difficult, where there is a lot more at stake. You know, am I going to let this killer walk and take the cash? You know, what about my integrity? What about my honesty? What, how do I balance that with my family's needs? And you and I, we face choices that are significant like that every single day. Uh, things that address our character, that impact our families and, and affect our future. Things like, you know, am I going to have sex with that guy at the end of our date? Where am I going to go to college? Am I going to relocate my family, uproot my kids from school just so I can pursue uh, a promotion and, 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 and at, at my career? Will I abort the baby? Uh, who am I going to vote for? Am I going to continue to abuse drugs or alcohol? And when we face those choices, what are we going to decide? And how will those decisions affect the world around us? How will those decisions alter who we are going to become? Now, the truth is, we're not victims of fate. We are not just powerless pawns in this gigantic cosmic game of chess. The reality is that we can choose. And every choice, whether it seems trivial or significant, affects the trajectory of our life. Believe it or not, the choices that we make don't affect just us, but they also impact the lives of other people. There probably, I guess, if I were going to categorize them, there are two categories for choices. One, I would call a contained choice. You know, those were one-time decisions. They're sort of confined to a moment in time, and, and uh, you choose, and it's done. Like, you know, am I going to ride the roller coaster at the fair? You know, I, I either choose to get on and, and go and vomit, or I choose to get off and, and go back to the entrance of the amusement park. Am I going to skydive? You know, strap on the chute and pull, jump out, pull the ripcord? It's done. Or I stay on the plane and land and, and, and do something different. But either way, that was a choice confined to a moment in time. i got to do something simple like buy a CD or order a pepperoni pizza. But then there are defining choices, another category. And, and these decisions are not contained to a, to a moment in time. They actually go way back into our past and they stretch way out ahead of us into our future. These are choices that affect the course of our lives. And they, those choices are defining and they are bolstered by and affected by hundreds of other little choices that we make throughout the day. And these other choices that we make, they either kill the momentum of our direction, they can take us off course, or they can keep us on target towards the outcome of what we said our defining choice is. For example, getting married. That's a contained choice, you know? A couple of folks show up at the church, stand there with the, with the preacher, he says, uh, will you, won't you, do you, don't you, okay, kiss her, done, married, right? Now, staying married, that's a defining choice. And that requires hundreds of little choices throughout each and every day over the course of a husband and wife's lives together as they choose again and again to make choices that say, I want to stay married. How about um, making a baby? Well, that's a contained choice. It requires, you know, a little biological engineering, but, you know, nine months later, boom, there you go, baby, done. But being a parent being a mother or a father, that's a defining choice. And it requires hundreds of decisions throughout the life of that person as they, as they continue to grow and change. And by the way, it's not a one-time choice. You'll always be a parent. You're never going to not be a parent. That's something that stays with you at every stage of your child's life. How about attending a church service? Well, there's a contained choice. 
You guys did that this morning. You kind of came in the door. We've, we've been together. We'll be together for about an hour total and then done. Went to a church service. But being a Christ follower, that's a defining choice. That's something that literally is effective affects the entire course of our life, and it's, it's supported by hundreds of decisions that we make throughout the course of our life. Am I going to follow Christ? Life is full of choices. There are some Bibles that are coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, we, the ushers have one we'd like to send with you today as a gift. You can keep one in your car or in your cube at work. We're going to put the scriptures up on the screen that we're going to look at today, but I would encourage you to look again at them over the course of this week and think about them. You know, God's word is full of wisdom. When it's applied, it, it really has a tremendous impact in our life and the world around us. Donnie shared the scripture with you a couple of weeks ago, but a guy named Joshua expressed um, what we're talking about in this way. In Joshua chapter 24, it's in the Old Testament part of your Bible. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua summed up all of life's choices into really one ultimate defining choice. Who will I serve? That's really it, isn't it? I mean, everything in life flows from that one decision. Interestingly enough, this, this is a critical decision, but it's not a one-time choice. Obeying God is a defining choice. It's an overarching decision that affects everything in my life, and it's affected by everything in my life. I think that's why Joshua's choice of words here is so very important. I don't know if, if, you, if you caught that, but it's, you know, choose who you will serve. Serve the Lord. My household and I will serve the Lord. When I make a defining choice for God, I'm not making a one-time decision. Instead, I'm making hundreds of little decisions throughout each and every day of my life where I am choosing to subject my will to God's will. I'm choosing to subject the direction of my life to the direction that He wants me to go. My priorities to His priorities. I will serve Him. I'm subservient to Him. Now, the decision to serve someone else, man, that runs completely counter to the direction of our human nature. In the United States, especially, we seem to live, uh, take pride in living by the narcissist motto. You know what that is, don't you? Ah, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me, right? That's the narcissist motto. Our culture is geared around ourselves. We're self-serving, self-promoting, self-worshipping people. You know, that's, that's easy to spot, isn't it, with celebrities, uh, I don't know if you caught the uh, video that was working its way around YouTube for a little bit about P. Diddy whining about the price of gas because it was too expensive to fly his private jet as he was going from New York to L.A. to pursue his acting career. And now now he was going to have to fly coach. <gasps> oh, it's just terrible, you know. Uh, or, you know, David Blaine's latest overhyped and underwhelming stunt or, uh, you know, reality TV. That's an oxymoron. But, uh, you know, reality TV that centers around people who are given celebrity status with absolutely no real accomplishments in life but they want us to watch every aspect of who they are, what they do, and listen to them pontificate on world affairs. Or, you know, it's an election year, so you've got a lot of posturing, a lot of ads by politicians promoting themselves. By the way, you know, politics, just Hollywood for ugly people. Uh, you can file that, file that away for future reference. <clears throat> anyway, I'll be here all week. Um, it's easy to point this stuff out with celebrities, but... Um, it's even easier to ignore these things about myself. But we really do worship ourselves, don't we? I mean, all of a sudden, my career is the most important thing, and it trumps my family's needs, sometimes my ethics, sometimes my health. Uh, national pride, civic duty are sort of set aside in favor of the politician that promises me 
the most free stuff. Choices about my course of study in college are, are sort of dictated by what makes me the most money, the fastest, so I can spend it on myself. Relationships are begun, and they're discarded based on how it affects me and how it's affecting my social standing and whether or not I'm getting anything out of this relationship. Financial spending decisions are, are dictated only by my wants, and they center solely around myself. Now, before you walk out of here today going, gee, Darren, thanks for all the encouragement. We must be the most horrible people ever. Uh, I want to point out that we are not the only self-centered people on the planet, and uh, we are in good company. We're not the first. In fact, this whole problem of worshiping ourselves has been a problem, well, since there have been people, okay? It's part of human nature. In fact, Scripture includes many warnings and commands to help us get away from this focus on ourselves. There's a reason for that. One of my favorites is this little cautionary tale that you find in the Old Testament part of your Bible, the first book, actually, the book of Genesis, over in chapter 11. And it takes place at a time uh, in, when uh, the world and mankind were relatively young. And the earth's population was all concentrated in one area. They all spoke the same language, and they got along very well. And one of them had a really bright idea. Uh, we pick up the reading in, in Genesis 11. It says, They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. I read that and I thought, well, what did these people do that was so wrong? I mean, if we're crying out loud, they were just affirming themselves and their accomplishments. Uh, they had good intentions, you know, it was all about unity and relationships. I mean, why did God stop them? Is God against success? Is God against achievement? Is God against urban sprawl? Uh, you know, I mean, was God feeling threatened somehow? That was a joke, by the way. Anyway, uh, no. As I, as I read about that and thought about that this week, the answer to me came back that, no, God is against narcissism. When I worship myself, when it's all about me, I am on a direct collision course with God. That's the problem. See, Jesus uh, addressed this as well in Matthew 22, in the New Testament part of your Bible. In, in, In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So why exactly is God against us worshiping ourselves? The problem is when I choose myself over God, then I get the greatest commandments. I get them backwards. See, Jesus' instruction was very clear. I don't know if you caught that. He said, you know, basically love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. But when I'm the most important thing in my life, all of a sudden that gets perverted and twisted around and reversed until it becomes love myself with all my heart and soul and mind. And that leads me then to love myself and ignore my neighbor. Something totally contrary to the nature of God. See, choosing myself leads me away from God. God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. It it was worth the life of His Son. He pursues us each and every day because that's what he wants. That's what his heart wants most of all. But if I am full of myself, then I have no room in my life for God. And I'll never have a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, I'll run away from him as fast as I can get. 
Choosing self ignores the needs of others. See, when I am choosing myself, all of a sudden the world shrinks to right about here. And I'm not concerned with much past the end of my nose. It's all about me. And I become a very petty, selfish person. I ignore the needs and hurts in this world that God has called me to address. God wants to use each one of us to partner with him to to do great things in this world and the lives of people around us, to provide hope and help and healing to a hurting world. And until I am living for a purpose that's larger than me, then the pain of the world around me will go largely unaddressed. That's why we keep providing opportunities for us to, to serve in our community, stuff like Life Point in Action, or giving you opportunities to serve here at Life Point on a serving team. Or, you know, there are opportunities all around you. There's at the Raleigh Rescue Mission, or um, at the Crisis Pregnancy Center here in, in, in Wake Forest, or at your kid's school. Because it's got to be about more than just you. You've got to be about something that's bigger than yourself. When I choose myself, I destroy true greatness. And think about that. When I'm consumed with myself, I never really engage in something truly great or truly world-changing. Now, can you and I achieve great things um, on our own, for our own benefit apart from God? Of course we can. happens all the time. And people build successful businesses that grow into these gigantic corporations. Uh, people win Olympic medals. Uh, you know, they author a bill that gets turned into a law. They have a building named after them. They make award-winning films or record top ten songs. Those things are great many times, but they're forgettable. I mean, think about it. Sports records get shattered every day. You know, corporations go under and they get, they get dismantled and sold. Uh, politicians get voted out. Their legislation gets watered down and changed and sometimes overturned. Buildings get torn down, even buildings with people's names on them. Few films or songs really stand the test of time. And the few that remain for a couple of decades eventually get ignored by new generations. It's because they're forgettable. Nothing truly great, nothing truly world-changing lives for something, uh, lives for something less, lives for something other than self. If, if it's truly great or truly world-changing, it's got to be bigger than self, and it's focused on the welfare of other people. The choice is deciding on who we will serve. Choosing to serve God means that I need to think about making the right choice in light of a commitment I've made to serving God. All these little choices that I'm faced with, you know, when, when I think about it, wait a minute, I've, I've, the direction of my life is in serving God, and so that dictates the choices that I, that I make every day. My current circumstances and how I serve God, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, are dictated on my decision to serve God. My dreams for the future, these choices that I'm making every day, are they taking me farther away from God or closer to Him? Those are things that I got to think about. As I was as I was preparing this week, and I was I was looking for a, some kind of story or a video clip or something that would kind of illustrate this idea of a life that has been dedicated to serving God and and what that and the choices that a person makes because of this this defining decision that they've made. And the thing that kept popping in my mind over and over again was a guy named Chris Christensen. Um, I think we've got a picture of him up on the screen there. Yep, he's the good-looking guy up in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, Chris is a great guy. He became a volunteer in my youth ministry when I was a youth pastor at a church in Maryland. And uh, Chris had been a World War II pilot. Uh, he played semi-pro baseball. He'd seen and done some pretty amazing things in his life. But if you asked him what was the most important, the thing that, the thing that thrilled him more than all, uh, Chris would talk about his family, and he would talk for a long time 
about his career as a middle school teacher and then a middle school principal. That's what he did up until retirement. Now, he had been long retired when I met him back in, in 98. And so at age 75, uh, Chris came up to me and he volunteered to serve in my youth ministry. I remember thinking, okay, that's not, that doesn't happen every day. Uh, and as I sat there and talked to him, trying to figure out where I could, could, could plug this sweet, sweet old man into uh, our, our student ministry, you know, we're talking. He said, well, you know, my health is not great. I move kind of slow and I'm not sure I could stay up all night at one of those lock-ins. And my eyesight's not real good, so I don't really drive at night. I'm thinking, okay, okay. He said, you know, is there something I can do for you on a Sunday morning? I thought, well, um, yeah, I guess you can help me with uh, the middle school class on Sunday morning. So now Chris, as you can see, is obviously not a poster boy for a cool youth worker. You know, no tattoos, no earrings, no rock band t-shirts. He didn't know the latest slang, and he moved kind of slow. Uh, and I really wasn't expecting Chris to have much of an impact on my middle school students. And I tell you, I was dead wrong dead wrong. The whole time we, we taught together for over a four-year period, um, Chris was my opening act for the middle school class. And every week he'd bring in the latest corny grandpa-approved joke he found on the internet or some little bit of memorabilia from his past or you know, when he was a teacher or when he was a kid. And he would tell a story about that. And, and uh, you know, kids kind of rolled their eyes and groaned a little bit at the jokes. And they were patient with him as he told his stories. But you know what? They loved Chris. Because that wasn't all that Chris was about. Because every Sunday, Chris would show up at least 45 minutes before class time, and he would roam the church property looking for these middle school people, wherever they were, where they're bunched up in a, in a group talking, and he'd stand there talking with them, and he'd go find somebody sitting by themselves. He'd walk in the classroom early, and he'd make his way around to each and every kid that was in that class. If somebody missed or they were late or for some reason weren't there, he'd be looking for them after service. He'd roam in the property again looking for those kids. And Chris would talk to them. He'd ask them how school was going. He'd ask them about their studies. He'd ask them what was going on at home and if, whether or not they had a boyfriend or a girlfriend and if they, if they were playing sports, how that was going. The amazing thing about Chris is that he would remember all the details and the following week, he'd seek him out and he'd say, hey, how'd that history test go? Did, hey, did you, uh, did, I know you were arguing with your sister last week. Did you guys work things out? You know, did he ask you to be his girlfriend this week? You know, did you go to the dance? Did your team do well this week? Chris would remember. He'd say, hey, you've got a concert coming up here in a couple of weeks, don't you? Chris would remember. And, and kids figured out pretty quickly that he was the real deal. With most of them having extended family too far away to visit very often, uh, Chris got promoted to honorary grandparent. And he received invitations to sporting events, to band concerts, to plays, even birthday parties. And Grandpa Chris made about 99.9% of each and every one of those events. In between Sundays, Chris was making phone calls, sending emails, writing notes to his kids. You know, he said, Darren thinks they're his kids, but they're really my kids. It was okay. It was a good arrangement. We moved from Maryland to Texas in 2004, and Chris was not happy with me for, for leaving there. And, and, but you know, we, had, we had a long talk, and he tearfully promised me that he'd look after those kids for me. Uh, in June of this year, I w- drove back to Maryland to do a wedding for a, a former student, and I found out that Chris had been battling cancer for a while, and I went to see him. And I stopped by, um, and his wife Gloria ushered me into Chris's study where Chris could sit up comfortably, and we talked for about an hour. His study is an amazing place. All four walls are literally papered from floor to ceiling with photos and certificates and drawings and things from his time as a youth worker and time as a teacher and principal. It's 
all about kids in that office. And we sat together for about an hour, and I expected that we'd talk about his illness, about his worries for, for Gloria. Instead, uh, Chris proceeded to give me a four-year update on every single teenager who'd been in our middle school class when we taught together. And that update was then followed by a lengthy interrogation of me, how I'd been, how was my family, how was I, uh, you know, how was I doing? He was glad I was serving in ministry again, but how was this LifePoint church treating me, you know? Finally, I interrupted and said, Chris, I, I came to see about you. I came to talk about you. He said, ah, that's boring stuff. I move a little slower than I used to. You know, I'm just glad I can keep in touch with these kids. I talked to my friend Ken this week, as a matter of fact, just uh, who still attends that church and, and found out that Chris has celebrated his 85th birthday. This school year, guess what Chris is doing every single Sunday night? He can't see to drive, so somebody has to come pick him up. But every single Sunday night, as middle school and high school students are walking into their youth ministry program, Grandpa Chris is at the door. Hey, how you doing? How was that algebra test this week? Hey, you're get, how, how's gradua- graduation coming? Did you get into that school? Hey, did, uh, did you guys patch things up with your parents? You know, remembers details. Asks kids about how their life is going. See, life is challenging for Chris, but it's a blessing. And his days are filled with purpose and with meaning. Chris chose to serve the Lord a long time ago. That was a defining choice for him. And there are lots of decisions in his life that have been made in keeping with that defining choice. Being a youth worker is just one of them. Loving teenagers is just one of those choices that he's made. When things begin to get confusing for us and the wheels begin to fall off our best laid plans, I think we need to step back and get some perspective. You know, and it's not all about you and I. And, and as we're sometimes building these great monuments to ourselves out there on the promotional tour for ourselves, things get a little confusing. And it seems like, you know, we're just hearing a bunch of, of, of noise and babble, and it's time to step back and recalibrate. Because most likely, the trajectory of our life has been altered, and we're no longer moving toward God. God may be trying to keep us from building a monument to ourselves because he wants us to aim higher and to be a part of something greater, something that he's doing in this world. It's only possible if we'll choose him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the fact that you pursue us. You pursue a friendship with us and that you want to include us in what you're doing in this world. God, it gets a little confusing. I know um, sometimes life is overwhelming and scary and sometimes we're, we're working so hard on our, our own agenda or trying to do things our way that we, we forget. We forget what it, what it means to serve you and to allow you to, to, to make us part of something bigger than ourselves. God, I pray that as we think about all the decisions that we face every day, that we'll think about something bigger than whether or not we want to supersize our order at the drive through window, that we'll really make a choice, a defining choice, to serve you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.